Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the Friday broadcast of Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett with Hickory Ridge Community Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. So glad that you're joining us today. This is actually part two of the husband and the wife's duty within marriage. Now, if you didn't catch the broadcast yesterday, I kind of spent a lot of time uh, doing a contrast between submission, worldly submission versus biblical submission. And uh, that kind of laid the foundation for what we're going to cover today. And I know just by putting out that word submission and marriage and duty uh, that a lot of people are going to have a little problem with what I'm saying. So I'm going to encourage you to just kind of hear me out and see that what the Bible says about submission. You know, submission is the key to unity and harmony in human relationships. Now, we kind of get that, right? Because uh, we are forced to submit to certain things. Uh, the government forces us to be submissive to certain things. Uh, there are certain laws that we cannot help but be submissive to because if we violate those laws, then disaster can take place. And so uh, there's some things that we should voluntarily submit to. And I want to talk about the game changer that can take place within your marriage if you understand what Peter is trying to teach us. And so I'm going to read 1 Peter 3, 1 through 9, and then I'm going to give you some responsibilities or what I call duties within the husband and wife relationship. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 1. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husband, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of your wives. When they see the purity and the reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment. And I think a better way to look at that, that should be your beauty should not come from solely outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. And, and so I don't think Peter is, is saying that You shouldn't have these things. What he is saying is that that shouldn't be the primary thing that you're known for. Uh, Rather, he said you should be one of inner self, unfading beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. So Peter's bringing some balance in here, and he's saying there's nothing wrong with having nice clothes, having a nice hairstyle, nothing wrong with this, but that should be not just exclusively who we are. And as old J. Vernon McGee used to always say, you know, if the barn needs some paint, go ahead and put some paint on it. So, you know, we're not opposed uh, to women wearing makeup. Uh, We're not opposed to nice clothes. But what we are striving for is something that is deeper than just the skin, right? Deeper than just the outward beauty. He says, this is the way holy women have passed who put their faith in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who bade Abraham and called him Lord, and, and with their daughters. And he says, if you do what's right, do not give way to fear. And then Peter talks about husbands, and he says the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs of that gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil for evil, insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because of this, you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Uh, So Peter kind of lays things out and says, okay, here's the husband's responsibility. Here's the wife's duty responsibility. But then he says, there's things that you share in responsibility or in duty, in submission. He says, we are to be like-minded, to be sympathetic, to love one another, be compassionate to one another, be humble and not repaying evil with evil, insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. 
So let's look at these uh, responsibilities, so we call them. And, uh, and we went through the broadcast yesterday talking about the contrast between biblical submission and worldly submission. And we talked about, uh, there's one we didn't cover, and that was secular submission or worldly submission may act in a way with authority and demand it, right? But it's seldomly done silently, right? It's, it's kind of open. Biblical submission is often evident in silence, which accompanies that innocent suffering. So our culture doesn't agree with Scripture on this one. Uh, in our culture, silence is not golden. Indeed, silence is often disparaged in our culture as weakness or, or even a sin. You see, our culture says that we are to communicate and we're to express our feelings, to let it all out, to vent. And our husbands are criticized for not being more open, sometimes rightly so, sometimes not. But in Scripture, we are commanded to be silent when we are being submissive. Dear Abby, silence is more often commanded than condemned. And so as we look at this whole subject, what is the duty of a biblical marriage? Well, let's look at first of all for the wife. And it says uh, that she is to submit to their husbands with purity and respect. And here Peter quotes Genesis 3.16 and Genesis 3.16 where it says, you know, to make your pains in childbearing and talks about the pain that is involved in giving birth. And then the last half of that verse says that your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Now, I know this is tough teaching, right? Biblical submission really is talking about a universal submission. The Christian is first to submit to God. Uh, The Christians are mutually subjected to each other. Husbands and wives are to be mutually submissive to each other. And finally, Christians are to be subject to all. And, And we look at this in this passage and how it's given in the sphere of ancient civilization. Let's go back to when things were like in Peter's day, and you go back even further, how things were in Moses' day in Genesis chapter 3 when he wrote that. In the sphere of ancient civilizations, women had no rights. In Jewish law, a woman was a thing. She was owned by her husband, just as he owned his sheep or owned his goats. On no account could she leave her husband. Although he could dismiss her at any moment, she could never get out of her marriage. In the Greek, the duty of the woman was to remain indoors and to be obedient to her husband. She was to hear as little as possible, say as little as possible. She had no mind of her own. She could uh, tolerate her husband divorcing her for any reason. She had no say. She had no opportunity to rebut things. Even in Roman law, in biblical times, a woman had no rights. In the law, she was considered a child. A child is under their parents' power. So if a wife is under her husband's power, she had no say. As a matter of fact, one Roman ruler wrote these words. If you were to catch your wife in the act of infidelity, you can kill her and you don't have to take it to trial. You just kill her. In other words, you catch your wife acting in infidelity, cheating on you, you can just order her to be killed. No trial, uh, no need to make it legal. Just go ahead and take her life. That's all you had to do. Let's look at what submission is, right? Because this word has been so thrown around. Uh, So let's look at biblical submission as the Bible speaks of it and how we are to apply it today. Being submissive does mean recognizing your husband's authority. I know that's hard, right? Biblical submission is that I recognize my husband's authority He is the high priest of my home. Biblical submission 
is managing to the best of your ability those areas your husband has delegated to you, whether that be family finances or child rearing or home organization. Being submissive does mean uh, telling your husband when you need to discuss a decision further before you are comfortable with it. There's nothing wrong with saying, hey, can we talk about this? That's not being unsubmissive. Biblical submission is also finding hope in God as the foundation of your identity. Biblical submission is being willing and showing respect and honor to your husband, even if you disagree with him. Biblical submission is building up your husband so that he's empowered to lead. In other words, don't take the reins every chance you get. Now, there's some things that biblical submission does not mean. So here's the contrary, right? Being submissive does not mean letting your husband do all the thinking for the family. Biblical submission does not mean agreeing with everything your husband says. Biblical submission does not mean putting your husband's will above God's will. Biblical submission does not mean that you're depending upon your husband for all of your personal and all your spiritual strength. Biblical submission is not acting out of fear. Listen, if you are fearful of your husband and you're forced to be submissive, that's not biblical submission. I think about when you love your husband so much and you have so much confidence and so much trust in him that you willingly follow his lead. You don't do it out of fear. You do it out of love. When we think about biblical submission, first of all, for the wife, she's to submit to her husband with purity and respect. But secondly, it's submitting to him as that inward character with outward beauty. Now, why is this so powerful? It engages the Spirit of God in bringing about spiritual change. Peter is talking about that inward character as you submit to your husband, and it engages the Spirit of God in that relationship. You know, I don't know anybody who has come to a saving knowledge of Christ because they were forced to. I see people coming to Christ because they recognize the mercy of Christ. They recognize the grace of Christ. Their lives have become unmanageable. Their lives have become a mess. And Christ is there with his love to draw them into a relationship with Christ. What do you think about biblical submission? It's also known for gentleness and a quiet spirit. What is the purpose of this? This is the purpose of bringing a blessing to not only your family, but also future generations. We look at Sarah teaching Rebecca. We look at future generations being blessed with a gentle and a quiet spirit. Now, we look at the husband's responsibility, and let's flip over to Ephesians, and we see what Peter says about the husband's responsibility, but let's look at the husband's responsibility given to us in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 23 through 26. The husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so wives also submit to your husbands in everything. For the husband, this means that you love your wife just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. So let's talk about what this means. What is biblical headship? You know, a husband who appropriately acts as the head of the home has some things in his character. First of all, he leads by example, right? As head of the household, 
I lead my family by example. In other words, I'm never going to ask my family to do something that I'm not doing myself. And number two, headship means that I exhibit humility. I understand that I have been put in this position. It's a position of honor, but I must lead with humility. Thirdly, biblical headship means that I focus on building up others in the family. You see, biblical headship is never that I'm going to be ruling and reigning with an iron fist, right? I'm not cutting down people because I can. I'm not saying I'm the boss and you're nothing. No, I'm focused on building up others within the family. Headship also demonstrates trust toward my family. You know, I'm in this position, and as I delegate things out because of the authority that I'm in, I'm also trusting my family to carry out these desires. Biblical headship also cultivates intimacy with his wife. I love my wife, and I'm going to work to reach out to meet her needs. And in doing so, I affirm her strengths. I use the headship not as a benevolent dictatorship, but I do it to bring out the strengths of my wife. Biblical headship is also providing protection and safety for my family. I protect my wife because she's the weaker vessel. Now, that's not an insult. I protect my wife because I don't want somebody taking advantage of her. I protect her because I love her so much, because she is of so much value to me. Now, I promise you guys, if your wife sees just how much you love her and how much you want to protect her out of that love, she will have no problem following you. Biblical headship is also delegating responsibilities while I'm retaining the final authority. I guess we can maybe understand it better if we take it outside the confines of a marriage and we use it in a matter of a business or a matter of the military. You think about the guy who is in charge of a business. Maybe he owns the business. He has to delegate a lot of responsibility out to those who are helping him make his business successful. But if something goes wrong, he still maintains final authority. The buck will still finally stop with him because he is ultimately responsible. When I think about my home, I love my wife. I love my kids. And I realize that I have the final authority within my home but I take that very seriously as I delegate out responsibilities. Biblical headship also is I take ultimate responsibility, not only for making sure that my family follows through, but I also make sure that I properly educate them and I properly discipline them. In other words, I set them up not to fail, but I set them up to succeed. And maybe this is kind of a weird way of putting it, but it's kind of like, Asking my children, I I say to Tyler, I says, now, Tyler, when you come home from school, would you be so kind as to cut the grass for me? And so I want him to succeed in that. So because I want him to succeed in that, I make sure that the lawnmower is ready and that the lawnmower is, is able to start, that the lawnmower has gas in it, and that he knows how to operate the lawnmower. And I show him how to use the lawnmower, and I teach him how to use it. Why am I doing all this? So that when I ask him to cut the grass, he can succeed in that. I'm not setting him up to fail. I'm not saying, Tyler, go out there and cut the grass. And by the way, the back wheel is off the mower, and and the lawnmower doesn't work very well, and you got to kick it a certain way to get it started. No, by the way, there's no gas in the tank. 
If I was demanding him to be submissive and to be obedient in that, and I didn't prepare for him to be successful, I'd be setting him up to fail. There's some things that headship is not. When we think about the marriage relationship, a husband who appropriately acts as the head of his home does not dictate orders without consulting his wife. You know, I think about the husband is the head, but the wife is the neck that turns the head. And so wise is the man who includes his wife in making major decisions. A husband who appropriately acts as the head of the home does not seek to control his wife's action. I mean, he's not a control freak, right? He's not out to control his wife. A husband who is the head of his home is not needing to win every argument, every disagreement. I realized when I married my wife, I married somebody a whole lot smarter than me. So I want her insights. And when we have a discussion where we disagree about something, I want to understand exactly why she doesn't agree with me. I don't need to win every argument. A husband who is the head of his house doesn't criticize his wife's weaknesses. Listen, we all have weaknesses. Our goal is not to exploit those weaknesses. Our goal is to protect our wife in those areas of weaknesses and to help compensate for those weaknesses. A husband who is the head of his home doesn't use threats, intimidation, or coercion tactics. He doesn't have to. If his wife really loves him and respects him, she's going to come along with him. A husband who appropriately acts as the head doesn't advance his own interests. I had a guy one time come to me and says, well, my wife is never submissive to me. I says, why do you want her to be submissive to you? I want her to be submissive so I go hunting on the weekend. I want her to be submissive so I go uh, play golf all the time. That man didn't want his wife to be submissive for her benefit. He was doing it for his own interests. A guy who is the true head of his house doesn't advance his own interests. He looks at the interests of others. A man who's the head of his household does not abuse his family physically, mentally, emotionally, or psychologically. Listen, as a husband, as a father, you're you're bigger than your kids. You're probably bigger and stronger than your wife. You don't abuse that strength. You don't use that physical strength to force submission. Now, as I think about a guy who really is leading his house well, really being the husband he should be, he is, first of all, considerate to his wife. You say, well, why, why is this so difficult? This is a battle for the rebellious spirit that we all have. You know, First Timothy 5 says, if a man doesn't provide for his own, especially those of his own household, he's denied the faith. He's worse than an unbeliever. So I must be considerate in providing for my family. As head of my house, I must be respectful, realizing that my wife is so valuable. Now, why is this so powerful? Because as I show respect, I increase the value of my wife. And as I show respect, I also realize that this is making my wife more powerful. In Colossians 3, 18 and 19, it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, also love your wives and never treat them harshly. So I've got to be considerate to my wife. I've got to be respectful to my wife. Number three, I've got to be gracious to my wife. Gracious as she is equal in value. Now, what is the purpose of being gracious in a marriage? Well, it reveals the gospel of grace to our children. It cultivates future generations. 
When my children see me being gracious and loving to my wife, they understand what grace is all about. You know, this leadership should never be dictatorial, never condescending, never patronizing to your wife, but we should be in accordance with the example of Christ leading his church. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. You know, Christ loved the church. That's his people, right? With compassion, with mercy, with forgiveness, with respect, with selflessness. In the same way, husbands are to love their own wives. Andy Stanley said, if you want to change somebody, hurt them deeply or love them profoundly. You see, we have a choice, guys, as we are to love our wives. You know, I tell people when they get married, there's three rules for a successful marriage. Rule number one is that marriage is a covenant relationship. It's not a contract. It's a covenant. Covenants are based on no conditions. Covenants are something that is done out of an agreement to do it, not based on what the other person does. You know, if you live in a home uh, that has a homeowner's association, you also have a homeowner's covenant probably in that. And what that covenant is is saying, because you want our neighborhood to look a certain way and to have a certain curb appeal, you will agree to do these certain things, right? And you do that because it's to benefit everybody. And a covenant is based on trust, right? And we trust one another to live under these certain covenant uh, rules, right? A contract, on the other hand, is just the opposite. We have a contract because we expect people to break that contract. So we say, put it in writing. If I have a guy that's going to put the roof on my house, I says, give me a contract. You agree to the contract. I agree to the contract. The terms are written out. Now, because I don't trust him and he doesn't trust me, we both sign that contract. There's even ways to get out of that contract written within the contract. In other words, if he doesn't put the roof on my house, I don't pay him. And if I don't pay him, he can take me to court if he does put the roof on the house. There's ways to get out of the contract. There are consequences for breaking the contract. God's covenant love for us is not based upon our ability to love him. It's based on his unconditional love for us. A marriage should be the same way. I am to love my wife, regardless of whether or not she loves me back. My love for her is unconditional. Now, I know this is a hard teaching. But when we think about loving somebody unconditionally, we love them even when they disappoint us. We love them even when they fall short of what we'd like them to do for us. Love is a covenant. Marriage is a covenant relationship. There's another rule that you got to remember about marriage. If you want to have a long-lasting marriage, marriage is work. But I want you to know, it is the very best work that you can enter into. You know, I love to work because I love to see a finished product. I've discovered something about work, though. It seems like you're never really done, right? You go out and you cut your grass, and a week later, you got to cut it again. You know, you get yourself all cleaned up in the morning. You take a, a, a shower and shave and get ready for the day, and you know, the next day, you got to do the same thing all over again. The life is filled with work. When it comes to work, we understand the profit that is involved by working hard. Well, how about your marriage? Your marriage is worth any effort that you can put into it. One of the things I think about with work that will help you to have a successful marriage is every day pray with your wife. 
once a week, date your wife. And once a year, go off in a, on an extended time with your wife. If you want to have a successful marriage, you got to realize marriage is a covenant, not a contract. Number two, marriage is work, but it's the best work that you can possibly be involved in. The more you put in your marriage, the more you're going to get out of your marriage. And then number three, don't consider divorce. Don't talk about it. Don't think about it. Don't consider it. When we think about marriage, it's till death do you part. If you're not happy with the person that you're married to right now, when you get to heaven, you won't be married to that person. That's why it says you're married till death do us part. Not married till divorce do us part. Just stay together until you pass away. In heaven, there's no marriage or given in marriage. Well, I promise you today, you can have some game changers in your relationship with your spouse if you will take these basic rules and apply them to your life. And if I can help you with your marriage, I'd be happy to help you any way that I can. Give me a call at 757-421-7500, 757-421-7500. I'd be happy to pray with you, pray for you, and help you any way that I can. Thank you so much for listening to the broadcast. I hope to see you in church on Sunday, Hickory Ridge Community Church, 9 o'clock or 1045. God bless you. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.